positive way that everybody can see that there's a positive goal here, right? That, uh, you know, the, the idea is to do better and to be better. And we can do that as a society because these don't seem like unachievable kinds of things, right? We're, we don't have to draw this violent line in the sand, right? We don't have to, and look, we're, we're gonna have fights in the streets with cops, right? I mean, that's gonna happen. That's, that's going to be part of this struggle too, uh, you know, and we can still do that while having a positive notion about what we're working for, uh, right? Instead of just foregrounding, you know, this us versus them mentality. Um, so, um, Mm. Yeah, I I think I think yeah. you may yeah, you may have something there with the you know kind of the common theme being you know the appropriation of like our side is the you know the central one the, the you know we we've got the we've got the virtue. <laughs> Although I will say I, I I get that less from Hannah Jones's you know. 1619 project where she's more kind of focusing on a victimhood narrative i feel than on a virtue narrative uh, i know the two get kind of conflated a lot in american society like if you're if you're the victim of something you must be kind of the good guy mm -hmm. um which is again kind of intellectually honest and makes things complicated and sets us up for some <laughs> like you know unintended consequences potentially um yeah do you mean intellectually honest or dishonest? Uh, probably dishonest. Um, okay. I, I forget what I said exactly. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this goes to something. One of the things that, that, that jumps out at me, and it goes straight to your point about, okay, we know what we're against, but what are we for? Like, can, right, we, can we enunciate yeah. that clearly? Do, yeah. do, do we under? Like, have we thought enough about that? Have mm -hmm. we thought this through? Yeah. Um, it feels connected to one of the main, you know, in the original 1619 project, in the introduction and the, the mm -hmm. you know, Hannah, um, Hannah Jones's introduction. You know, the headline blazes uh, right away. And it says, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but it says something like, uh, America's founding ideals were false when they were written. Mm -hmm. uh, and black Americans struggled to to make them so. Uh, to make them true. To make them true. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Which is not know, entirely wrong. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I, yeah. I want to I draw attention to... That, I mean, this is, again, red meat for the right. They'll yes. take this yeah, quote exactly. and, and it'll, yeah, yeah. It, uh, you know, right, right, right. it'll be, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be on United Fox. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be the talking point and everybody's yeah. jaw is going to be dropping and they're, how could the left be so stupid, you know? Yeah. And very quickly, it seems to me that one of the key points that, that kind of gets swept under the rug is, well, we have different conceptions of what democracy is. And I'd love to get your take on this. If I, I, this might be too schematic, but bear with me. Let's take, first of all, putting the 1619 Project to the side. Uh, you've got, loosely speaking, a far left and a far right faction. And maybe far, far, like maybe this is this, this is too glib. It's not just people who identify on the far right who say something like, 
we live in a in a republic, not a democracy. Right, the, this right. kind of thing yeah, is is, sure. is 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 much more common nowadays than I remember it being ten or twenty years ago. Definitely. So, and the reason why they say that is they say, well, the founders never intended to establish a democracy. They, you know. Yeah. Uh, they intended to establish a republic. Okay, your man John Adams had all sorts of negative things to say about democracy. Absolutely, sure. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, as did Hamilton and Madison, and yeah, that's yeah. so. At the very opposite end of the political spectrum in America, mm-hmm. you've got the far left saying the exact well in a different mm-hmm. way from a different perspective, saying the exact same thing. They're saying, look, America is not. A democracy. It was not intended oh, okay. to be a democracy. This would be the Chomsky Zinn critique, right? right. right? And so kind they're agreeing on the American people. Exactly. Now, of course, on the right, when they say republic, not a democracy, they mean that in a good way. Yeah. On the left, they mean they're saying the same thing, and they mean it in a negative way. But they both agree on the fundamental premise that the founders never intended to establish a democracy. Sure. So. Leaving those to the, uh, leave, leaving those for just a second, mm-hmm. then there are two views kind of in the middle of this. There is what up until very recently was the mainstream view uh, that the United States, of course, is a democracy, and mm. of course, everything that went into the Constitution is a, a, a constitutive part of this democracy. Judicial independence, that's, that's what you need for democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, a separation of powers, that's what you need. The Bill of Rights, protection of individual rights, that's what you need. So yeah. up until very recently, that would have been the New York Times editorial line. That's most, mm-hmm. of, most textbooks, uh, um, sure. certainly, that I grew up with, and I think for at least a generation or two before that, that America's a democracy, of course. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, and it's important to note that by the standard that they're setting, mm-hmm. well, okay, then America is a democracy, right? Because yeah. all of those things that you just talked about, the separation of powers, uh, judicial independence, executive, you know, bill of rights, all of that stuff, that's all folded in. Mm-hmm. It's all part of the package deal. That's mm-hmm. democracy? Okay, by your standard. And then there is, and this... From my understanding, this is relatively new. It's not just the 1619 project. It's also Jill Lepore. Uh, this would be, there's a view that's between the mainstream view, or what used to be the mainstream view until very recently, and the Chomskyite view. Okay. So according to uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, according to Jill Lepore, uh, according to this view on democracy, up until the 1960s, mm-hmm. American democracy always had an asterisk next to it. Mm. It wasn't really a democracy. And this is Hannah Jones's point in the, in the blazing headline, right? Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the founding ideals were false when they were written. I think, sure. to be, uh, trying to be fair, trying to understand where she's coming from, mm-hmm. that's what she means. That, you know, by the mainstream lights, okay, they're calling it a democracy, but mm-hmm. what about black folks? What about women? Sure. What about all those people? You know, white uh, white males who didn't have the vote. Uh, not that's that's not her primary concern, of course. Right, but, sure. <laughs> but the the point is, it only in the 1960s did the United States finally practice what it preached and mm. become and, and became a democracy in any kind of uh, substantial sense. Uh-huh. So you've got these four different points on a spectrum, yep. perhaps we can say. Okay. Uh, and. 
you've got some agreements, but you've got some fundamental disagreements on what democracy actually is. Uh. And, and I'm not saying we should get into a pissing match about who's right. Like, whose definition of democracy is right? And right. then it's, it's much more fundamental than that. And I, w- I, I would just like to mm. hear you run with it. And like, what? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm kind of thinking, you know, this too feels like sort of the wrong question to be asking, right? I mean, we, 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 know, we know the ideal, right? This is, I'm, I'm taking kind of the, the Lincoln reading Jefferson line here. Um, mm-hmm. We know the mark to shoot for. Um, that's been, you know, held up from, from the beginning. We've had this, we've had this kind of idea about, you know, universal values and, uh, kind of the, uh, whatever, social mobility anyway, everybody being able to kind of earn their own way in society and liberty for all, right? Um, all this has, has been with us since, since 1776. Um, and then, you know, the thing to do if you care about those things is to you know look at the numbers like look at the metrics like how are we doing on providing liberty to our citizens well having the largest number of incarcerated people probably makes you think huh we're not doing so swell on that um you know class inequality has become you know a a serious serious problem in this society and class immobility has become a serious problem that makes you think okay you know the the pursuit of happiness thing isn't what it once was, or at least wasn't what it uh, kind of was once imagined we could hopefully uh, turn it into, right? Um, I, I mean, I think, I think, you know, if you kind of disaggregate the idea of, you know, democracy is belonging to the realm of self-definition and identity and look at it from the point of view of performance then, you know, you can really see what actually, as a society, we need to work on. What hasn't been working, you know, then comes into focus. I mean, like, you know, the idea that kind of the Constitution set us up as a functioning republic, um, I, I think, like, the Constitution was flawed from the start, right? I mean, like, it's always had flaws. It's always been this kind of kinky, you know, awkward instrument that we're saddled with. And that doesn't mean that it's worth nothing, you know. Uh, to, to come to your earlier point about, like, you know, kind of Christian conceptions or, or uh, understandings of, of uh, you know, uh, uh, living in a sinful world or something. Like, the Constitution is a cracked vessel, right? I mean, this is, this is the, you know... It, can you still hold water as it's leaking out through this vessel's cracks? Uh, sure, you know. Is it perfect? No. Um, and I mean, I think that, you know, kind of concept, uh, uh, Cornell West likes to, likes to cite it from time to time. Um, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense in thinking about our republic as well, right? Like, I mean, we can, we can grade it. That's his analogy, the leaky vessel? Or oh, it's a, it, it's apparently a, an image uh, that the the that Christians use a lot, uh, okay. des- describing the soul, right? Like Understood. the soul is a vessel that's imperfect, right? Mm-hmm. And God can pour all the goodness into it that He wants, and it's still going to be leaking out, and we're still going to be failing. But mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that we're irredeemable, right? Yeah, I think that's the uh, the conception. Okay. Um. So I mean. Yeah, like like let's let's look at the let's look at the proof in the pudding, right? I mean, is this is this a polity that 
passes legislation to deal with the pressing issues of the day. Like, this is a real question, right? We have, you know, look at climate change, look at, you know, digital rights and, and you know, protections, look at, you know, is, is, are, we, are we fit for purpose as, like, the, the regime harboring Facebook <laughs> and, and Elon Musk's Twitter and so on as they spread disinformation throughout the world? I mean, is it, have we really proven that we're, we're the formidable uh, enough to take on the practical challenges that those have brought and trained? I mean, I think, you know, like, let's, let's be honest. Like, our, our democracy is uh, not performing all that well, and it hasn't been for a number of decades, I would say. Like, you know, it's been deteriorating. I mean, if you look at the metrics, if you look at the, you know, we're, we're, a, we're certainly, like, well below. We used to be kind of close, you know. It wasn't too far off, uh, the United States versus Canada, and now it's not even close, you know. Germany is a functional democracy, right? Ireland's a great democracy. They do great on their, on their metrics. Norway might be topping the charts. Iceland's great, you know. Uh, Canada, New Zealand, we're not in that category. We aren't. Like, <laughs> it's, I wish we were, but, you know, like, there, there, there's more, more that needs to happen before we're uh, in that league. Yeah, I, I'd like to ask you what, what needs to happen, but I, I'd like to go back to what you said at the, at the beginning about we know what to shoot for. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure everybody would be shooting for the same thing. Mm. I, I, I think if you, if you put that question to uh, someone who's more on the Chomsky, Zen, or uh, um, you know, part of the spectrum on the left... Mm. And then you point pointed this, uh, the same question to someone on someone who said you know republic not a democracy, and then you pointed. I, I think we'd get some different answers, and I. Well, that's a fair point. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, for example, like what is what does liberty mean? Uh, you know, what is what does pursuit of happiness mean? Like, I think you know, I, I look at liberty, and one of the most basic things about it is like, are you free or not? Right. If you're in prison, you're not free. Uh, so the high rate of incarceration is a pretty clear, you know, sign that we're not doing that well on the democracy, uh, sorry, on the liberty front. Right. Um, whereas, you know, on the right, they say, you know, hey, if, if I'm not free to deny services to gay people because I disapprove of gay people, then my religious liberties aren't being respected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, this is a matter of divergent definitions for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Zinn or... Chomsky or, uh, for that matter, Cornell West would have a, you know, much more, like, pursuit of happiness means, you know, a much more expansive, like, sort of, you know, uplift from poverty for those who are in poverty and an expansing, an expanding sort of realm of possibilities within, like, a social democratic or, or uh, uh, sort of a libertarian socialist uh, kind of conception of the world, right? Whereas, like, you know, we um, might hear conservatives who are defining, you know, pursuit of happiness in a very, like, Ayn Randian, you know, uh, everyone everyone claws their way to the top in a competitive free market kind of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's fair, but it's also a matter, like, some of this is, is kind of a matter of policy rather than, like, constitutional structures, you know? 
And I think if we are a democracy, then we need to have room for divergent views on policy, right? I think the, you know, having a kind of common constitutional grounding, um, that ought to bring us together. That, that shouldn't be the thing that we're uh, fighting over. Yeah, I, one of the things that, that leaps out at me is that it does seem in some ways to not just be about what policy we might be able to hash out a compromise over, mm. uh, but it does seem to be at times tied directly to our fundamental structure mm. because that fundamental structure has changed over time in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not just due to um, the various amendments, but that's a, that's a very useful, that, that's a very useful way to track. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's fair to say that folks who would say, and full disclosure, I'm, in this case, anyway, aligned a little bit more, a lot more with the, uh, you know, republic as opposed to a democracy. Now, I don't think those two, when they say democracy, republic, not a democracy, mm. I think that's not the, that, that's the byword, right? That's the mm. cliche that you hear. Yeah. And it's not that these things are opposing or distinct. It's that... You know, a republic as our, not all founders, certainly not Jefferson, but certainly as Madison and Adams understood it, mm-hmm. they would have said quite explicitly, look, democracy is part of the answer. Democracy as they understood it at the sure. time, of course. Yeah. Democracy is part of the answer, but that too much is just as bad as too little. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finding those finding the, that messy balance mm-hmm. uh, in what they were calling mixed government and what many yeah. people today now call democracy. Uh, mm. It was an inherently compromised and, uh, and messy venture. But I think what, one of the things that got, that got established there, mm-hmm. and we can, we can critique it up and down, and we're right to do so, mm-hmm. is that it established a hierarchy mm. that... They, they effectively thought was conducive to the common good. That what they were shooting for mm-hmm. in the Federalist Papers, what they were shooting for in Philadelphia in 1787, was, okay, how do we establish that common good? And mind you, the French Revolution had not happened yet. The, uh, but they were looking deep back into history to examples in the medieval Italian city-states. They were reading their Machiavelli to Rome and Greece. They were reading their Polybius. They were reading their Tacitus sure, and their yeah, Thucydides. Definitely. And they were saying, okay, how can we avoid the meltdown of the Peloponnesian War? Mm-hmm. How can we avoid the meltdown of the Roman Republic? And, and, and so on. And so what they were shooting for, quite explicitly, mm-hmm. was not necessarily the kind of society in which everybody was equal. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe equal under the law. Uh, and certainly they were, they were willing uh, to, I mean, they, they, they wanted to countenance slavery in order to, in, in order to mm-hmm. keep the South on board. Mm. Uh, and we, we can get into the ways in which that compromised the beginnings of the American project. We can talk about the ways in which uh, some historians have argued, no, actually, I mean, 
the founders, even though they knew they had to accept slavery temporarily, were really shooting for uh, its end, even, oh. even in the Constitution. But leaving that aside for a second, I think it's fair to say that there was and still remains that fundamental divide in exactly what we think we are shooting for between the city on the hill. Um, and that's not necessarily a left-right issue. Like a no, lot of, no, uh, there, there's not. a very American yeah. exceptional kind of sure, sure, sure. Yeah. thing that, that, that yeah. that's, and, and, and part of that exceptionalism is uh, liberty and justice for all, right? There's mm. a real tension between that mm-hmm. and what our constitution represents. Uh, the necessary hierarchy, necessary by our founders' lights, many would agree, many, many, many would disagree today on whether that hierarchy is necessary right. or... So, yeah, what do, I mean, what do you think about that? How, how would you... Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like everything you say is valid and at the same time, I think, you know, if you take a contemporary right-wing critique seriously about, you know, the United States is a republic, not a democracy. Um, if you take that seriously as a constitutional statement rather than a policy statement, you're getting played. Because the reason anybody says that anymore is because they're happy with permanent minority rule and they want to take away the rights of minority, you know, especially African-American voting rights, you know, uh, or the voting rights of any other people who might be caught up in the dragnet, right? The less educated people who happen not to have IDs, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all dispensable according to that you know, frame of reference, and it's fine. There's no contradiction. That's fine because we're not a democracy, right? And Right, yeah, it, that, that can be the, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an extremely <laughs> unfortunate kind mm-hmm. of uh, leap and I, I would argue that the butt carries far too much weight there. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, you know, this isn't, this isn't the Constitution, and partic- particularly on that score. Uh, this isn't the Constitution as written in, you know, 1787. Like, this is the Constitution as amended in, you know, the 1860s to provide for birthright citizenship, something that Donald Trump has overtly eschewed and and tried to evade and would love to see the United States get rid of because that means you know it's perfectly fine to have multi-generational populations of racialized aliens who have no civil rights in this country right I mean that's that's what he's aiming for clearly right Um, so it is an anti-constitutional like standpoint uh, if you accept the Constitution as amended uh, in the, you know, the Reconstruction Era amendments. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, you're making some compelling points. It's, my, my fear is that because the, you know, the view that the Constitution is necessary is so often identified Mm. With that reactionary, I mean, this is not uh, this is not a sensible conservative position. This is mm. we're no longer trying to preserve what we think we need out of our contested or common past. We we almost don't even understand our own history, mm-hmm. which kind of renders us not really conservative. Um, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. conservatives kind of by definition need to know a little history to know what they want to conserve. Right. 
And so if the champions of the Constitution are in some ways, as you say, kind of, you know, in practical effect, anti-constitutional, um, that, that's one side of the problem. Mm. The other side of the problem, and mm -hmm. I, I would argue, I, 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 I think you'll probably disagree with me on this, but the other side of the problem, which seems inextricably linked to, mm -hmm. the, to the side that we've, we're just discussing, mm -hmm. is that if we are shooting for the kind of society Mm -hmm. that our founders were specifically attempting to guard us against. The kind of society that said, no, it's not just equality under the law. We need uh, what our founders and the French revolutionaries agreed was a democracy. Okay. And our founders thought would be a disaster, and the mm -hmm. French revolutionaries thought they were shooting for. Mm -hmm. um, and if we go that route, then we may indeed follow that same historical trajectory that uh, the Roman Republic uh, followed. That, you know, we, we will do that, that cycle between, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when, when it was the French, it was, it was the monarchy of Louis, mm -hmm. to an attempt at pure democracy, mm -hmm. to the military dictatorship of Napoleon. Uh, in the case of the Italian city-states, it was a very similar pattern. In the mm -hmm. case of Kaiser to Weimar Republic to Hitler, mm -hmm. same pattern. Sure. In the case okay. of the Russian, the Tsar to the, yeah. you know, and ending in Bolshevik right. military dictatorship. Kerensky. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my, my fear is that we, we're kind of setting up precisely the historical conditions of factionalism that Hmm. will make us follow that cycle. And both sides say we're following it. Both sides say the fascists lie on the other side, or the proto-fascists uh -huh. lie on the other side. Uh -huh. And like, how, how could we possibly uh, reach for that wrenching, necessary synthesis that could stave off such an eventuality? The problem today is not too much democracy. There's no sign of it anywhere that I look in our polity. The problem that is facing us is too much oligarchy. I mean, you know, the I, I mentioned before the growing rich poor gap, right? The the this swelling population of people who live here have lived here for ages who don't have U.S. citizenship, right? The um, you know ever growing numbers of people in prison. The you know the the uh, I mean the ever greater efforts to deny people access to the polls and even deny them personal bodily autonomy. I mean, this is not what happens when there's a surfeit, when there's an excess of democracy, right? This is the oligarchy striking back and striking hard. And democracy is not what we need to guard ourselves against right now as a society. I mean, I can see, I can see, you know, the validity of your criticism, but I mean, you know, it's it's not it's not the reality we face. I think, uh, you know, and you know, and it could be it could be that you know, in two one or or two generations, you know, uh, things have swung around again, right? It could be that the kind of new multiracial uh, America, the the generation coming up, you know, learning nothing but Howard Zinn in the schools and so on and so forth. Um, you know, is uh, becomes the generation uh, for whom you cannot have, you know, too much democracy and, and the guardrails against that need to all be smashed. 
Um, let's talk about it then. I, I, I feel like I yeah. feel like it's not uh, that's not the historic moment we're in. Yeah, interesting. I I wonder if part of the wrenching but necessary synthesis that I'm talking about mm. is not on well. Whether or not there's too much or too little democracy is going to, I, I suppose, depend on your conception mm. of democracy. Mm -hmm. But let's, maybe the, the more productive question is, could that wrenching but necessary synthesis mm -hmm. that, I'm, that I'm trying perhaps quixotically to reach for be um, part and parcel of a reigning in of the oligarchy that you're talking about? That... Well, for I example, so. the <laughs> like the that for example, um, the kind of uh, necessary regulation of mm -hmm. financial institutions, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And it uh, it is very easy to go too far, and that regulation becomes completely unproductive and causes unnecessary uh, un unintentional consequences. Mm -hmm. But it's equally important to acknowledge that some regulation is needed. Sure. Um, you know, I, uh, perhaps a good historical comparison is with the the New Deal of FDR. Mm. Okay. Like, how could um, how could there be uh, grand bargain? Sounds a little bit too grandiose, but how could there be a uh, the, the kind of the kind of wrenching thing that would say, look. Uh, we can and should give everyone a square deal and make mm -hmm. it more than just lip service. Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, I've, uh, I've just started a rereading of Tocqueville. Mm. And one of the, the thing he says on the very first page, he says, uh, and I, I mean, I, as I understand it and as I remember it, this is going to be his theme throughout the entire massive work, right? Mm. That he says, the reason why America is different from his France of the 1830s, mm. uh, or anywhere else he had, he had seen in Europe, is that there was much, much more equality of opportunity. Mm -hmm. That there was this, and he has he has a he has a he has an interesting perspective on it. I immediately think of it as because America was such a, you know, it was still kind of a frontier nation, right? Sure. At the yeah. time, yeah. there was just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The elbow room and going. Yeah, you you can just you 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 have this kind of mobility right. that Americans still have more of than 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 anybody in Europe, but it's not anywhere near like like it, it would be in in. I mean, um, but like his point was because it was this rough and ready, almost uh, you know front frontier country. Yeah, that you just had you, you didn't ha yet have the massive stratified wealth that you had right. in London at sure. the time. Yeah. So I, there was an enormous yeomanry at the time, right? Yeah. And then there, there yeah. you know, the class structure of, of America in the 1830s, 40s, whatever, was, you know, as Tocqueville is implying, right? Like, you know, we had this, this massive middle class of people who owned their own land, who, you know, worked for themselves, might have, um, uh, might have, Times, you know, in rough in rough times when they would go out and kind of hire themselves out as as laborers for their neighbors, but that's kind of you know that was kind of this the the uh, the basement for uh, it's not the 
question. Anyway, that was that was as far as a lot of people would sink. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. as as long as you had your own land and could support yourself, right? I mean, you weren't going to be, you know, necessarily an abject poverty. You had to guard against debt. You had to guard against, you know, bad crop uh, yields on and so forth. But I mean, you know, and and land was available. Um, you know, there was an immense amount of land in the public domain that you know was this was a prepossessing uh, question of public policy in the Tocqueville day, you know, how should we allocate these public lands, whom should we sell them to, you know, who administers that whole process. Uh, this is one of the things where the Whigs and the Democrats were in those days, you know, arguing uh, between themselves, as, as were the states and the federal government, too. Um, you know, uh, that's not what we're, where we're at now. I mean, who's, you know, the, the rural kind of yeomanry uh, doesn't exist anymore. It's, you know, it's, it's uh, factory farms. It's, you know, my, my, um, my uh, dad was born in Nebraska on a family farm, right, uh, in a little town, a little settlement. Uh, called Akron um, that no longer exists. Like you go there, uh, you can see a really small church. Uh, you can see a few graves next to it, and that's what's left of the town. The rest is cornfields. And you know, and my grandma was taking me around, and being like, "Oh, well, that's where the general store was. That's where you know our house was. That's where you know the neighbors. It's all gone. It's all been plowed over, right?" Uh, and this has happened all across the United States um, as people are moving to the city, as people are, you know, in more industrial and post-industrial lines of work, you know, precarity has obviously grown by leaps and bounds. Like we, you know, there is less uh, economic mobility uh, than there was in de Tocqueville's day, despite, you know, the intervening abolition of slavery, like notwithstanding, we're still in a worse spot collectively. Um, you know, than we would have been uh, back then. I mean, it, which is a staggering uh, thing to think about. Um, you know, so the kind of, like the reality of a, you know, of a society premised on a massive middle class and a somewhat marginal lower class and a somewhat marginal upper class just does not describe the reality of America today, right? I mean, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't the country we live in now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that immediately of, you know, uh, Jefferson and John Adams didn't agree on much, mm. but they could agree on what you're talking about. They could agree that the yeoman farmer was mm. the backbone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hamilton would have disagreed, you know, he would have been fine with all Which, the urbanization. Uh -huh. yeah. And uh, to some extent, this is inevitable. Right. And how can we mitigate these effects that 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 we're discussing, um, can we? Is uh, do you see any hope? Sure. Uh, I mean, you know, the growth of uh, the labor movement uh, in recent years is an encouraging sign. I think you know, as as more people and and they're often women, they're often people of color, they're often you know young people, uh, you know, are way more open to the idea of joining and and forming unions uh, than would have been the time in the you know, the, the rollicking 1980s or, or whatever, or 90s, when the free market ideology was, was uh, at its most rampant. Um, you know, I think that's, that's a harbinger, possibly, of a correction, you know. 
I think people are talking now. The, the Overton window has been flung open on the ideas of uh, you know, a wealth tax, uh, you know, inheritance tax. Uh, you know, we, we need to, as a society, uh, stop tolerating the existence of billionaires. I mean, I, I don't think that serves, like, what patriotic purpose, to paraphrase Henry Clay, um, what patriotic purpose does it serve to have this massive class of pampered, inherited wealth, uh, you know, lording it over the rest of us. I mean, that's, that is, if there's anything that's undemocratic, uh, that's it. I mean, like, <laughs> right? That's kind of your de definition of oligarchy right there. Um, yeah. And I mean, and I think, I think you know, a, a, ever since the, you know, Lehman Brothers crash and the Great Recession, I, I, I think, you know, people have started to ask these questions and the, the sacred cows are no longer so sacred of, you know, the free market. People are open to the idea of, you know, uh, as I say, a wealth tax. And, you know, that it's, it's no longer kind of taboo to talk about having, a, you know, a, a, having government, having public uh, policy that promotes a middle class again. I mean, I think that would, you know, if, if, if most people are doing okay, right, if most people are doing well, um, then as a society we're, we're, you know, approximating the goal of the greatest good for the greatest number, which is roughly my definition of, you know, the pursuit of happiness, right? Um, I know, I know people on the right wouldn't agree with that definition, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think the, I think the, you know, people are, a greater number of people are, are, are willing to entertain the possibility at least. Yeah. I, I'm sure in some ways this does mark me as conservative. If I, I I'm a little leery of the utilitarian, you know, greatest happiness for the greatest number, mm. uh, scheme. I mean, it, it's, it, it, it sounds great on paper and I'm, I'm, I'm leery of the unintended consequences mm. as we, as we pursue it. Um, I know that's a larger, more philosophical question, <laughs> but in the in terms of practical things that we can do, you, mm -hmm. you mentioned a wealth tax. Um, mm -hmm. I I'd love to hear if 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 you've if you've got more ideas. I, one of the one of the things that I've struggled with over the past several years is okay. Um, so the. The, 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 the fabulously wealthy global aristocracy, mm -hmm. well, global er, uh, oligarchy, if you mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one country bumps up its tax regime to tax mm. the rich. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and the billionaires scatter. Mm -hmm. And they, they go elsewhere and they go here. And, mm -hmm. um, and sometimes... This might turn out to be the, an example of a regulation that goes too far and ends up impoverishing us sure. because mm -hmm. these these just filthy rich folks will just uh, up sticks. You really and, want Gérald Depardieu to stay in France and not move to Russia? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I appreciate that, but isn't it a little bit? Doesn't it require a little bit more than than a flippant response? Like, like how would sure. we? It I mean, seems like okay, a, this a global be... problem needing oh, a global solution. Oh, I see solution. what you're saying. Um, yeah. Sure. In the air, in, in, in the era of airplanes, maybe it does require a global solution. Um, I mean, you know, I think this would look uh, nationality, a sense of belonging, 
has always been more than a matter of dollars and cents. The right likes to use that argument uh, against the left, but it also, in this situation, cuts the other way, Absolutely. right? I mean, like, yeah. if we were talking about Sweden uh, upping its taxes and its rich people moving, uh, you know, to Denmark or something, well, okay, that that might be a thing, right? That that could count. That could uh, maybe go farther than the benefits that you would get from from a higher tax rate mm -hmm. um you know rich people are still going to want to live in america like there there are a ton of reasons why um it's it's not a it's not an argument that can be you know made against a super big economy like the united states or for that matter i suppose china if they wanted to do anything similar or you know um it, you know the 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 wealthy are going to, you know, certainly seek their own uh, whatever serves their best interests the best. But their best interests is not exclusively a matter of dollars and cents, as I said. You know, yeah. like people people want to live where they feel culturally at home, where they feel, you know, that they have a stake in the society, right? That you know, they're they can see their kids growing up there, right? I mean, like these, yeah. these are. Yeah. Uh, you know, these are human beings, even even if I wish not a single one of them had more than a billion dollars, uh, you know, I'm, they're, they're, still, they're still people. And, you know, I, I think they deserve uh, they deserve a, a little bit of that grace, too. Right. So, yeah. But um, yeah. 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 I now I know this what I'm about to say might seem a, a little bit too, uh, you know, too philosophical as well but on that issue of you brought up the greatest happiness for the greatest number and 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 um i think i said the greatest good for the greatest number sorry yeah sure yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so you know people will 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 pursue happiness in all sorts of ways mm. and one of my one of my fears is that uh it's often the case that as we pursue happiness mm. we <laughs> end up not very happy <laughs> the things that we think are going to make us happy aren't yeah, actually yeah, going to make yeah, us happy. Right. And, you know, the, we, you know, and it's not just the case of, uh, you know, people becoming fabulously wealthy and then understanding that life is more important than money. Uh, yeah. That, that, um, Prince and the pauper thing. Yeah. 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 There, it, it's also a, um, there's also a certain uh, choice overload that can happen that can, mm. you know, uh, why is it that we, you know, we enjoy the kind of security that uh, just didn't exist? Uh, I, I, and I'm talking about bodily security right now. I'm talking mm. about, in general, you know, uh, women dying of, in childbirth far less. You know, infant mortality being just vanishingly, not vanishingly, but mm. less, yeah, yeah. Uh, much, much less than it was in the 1830s. Um, uh, by so many metrics, you know, this is, this, this is the, uh, um, I hope, a little bit more nuanced version of the Steven Pinker argument, right? Well, everything mm. is much, much better. So why is ever like everyone just needs to get over it and acknowledge mm. that we're just doing really, really well? I'm not exactly saying that, but I, I'm just worried that, you know, to make it to, to give a religious analogy, mm -hmm. um, Edward Gibbon in his *Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire*, mm -hmm. uh, when he was talking about the 
the transition between Christianity being a very, very small and persecuted mm. religion, okay. coming then to become the official religion of the Roman Empire, right. gaining a lot of worldly power and then becoming corrupted. and mm. So initially a, vo- a vehicle of social protest mm. and then a vehicle of social control. And right. as, he, as he tried to map that transition, he, he made the very uh, caustic, but I think good point. Mm-hmm. He said, the virtue of the primitive Christians he said, was very frequently guarded by poverty and ignorance. (laughs) And so to what extent can we, even as we are pursuing material well-being, and rightly so, pursuing Mm. better and more sustainable balances, um, uh, are there there going to be... uh, pitfalls in the way? Are there going to be things that we need to be thinking about right now before we just tax the rich? And I'm all in favor of some sort of wealth tax. I'm all in favor of some sort of regulation. Mm. I'm just, I feel like a a larger conversation is needed to kind of plot a way forward where we can say, yeah, we're we're not going to shoot for, shoot for too much. Uh-huh. I'm making myself sound very, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're not just going to boomerang ourselves into chaos here. I see what you we're, mean. we're actually going to end up better off. But what, okay, like, who, who are you concerned about? Like, are, are you afraid that the IRS is going to have too much money and that, you know, the federal government is going to be, like, no. who, who, who's I, this concern directed it, it, It's a good question. I, okay, I, I'm... I'm concerned about the common good, and let me let me be specific. Mm. I know that I know that that sounds. I'm concerned about the common good in this okay, sense. Okay, so we raise like, so much money that uh, we're we're facing the conundrum of like who we have to share it with. Like, no, no, not, so much. No, no, no not at all. Not okay, at all. okay. I'm concerned that we will render ourselves poor. Like, let's say, mm-hmm. let, let me give you an extreme scenario. I'm not okay. saying that you're proposing this, but mm-hmm. let me give you an extreme scenario. Let's say that uh, in, I think in a couple years' time, AOC will be eligible to be uh, to run for president, right? Uh-huh. So let's say, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, and I'm certainly not saying that you're proposing this, mm. but just to just to give a, a a very extreme scenario to show what I'm what you know, yeah. AOC runs for president in mm-hmm. um, in 2032. Okay, so sure, and. Um, and she wins. And we get all of what Bernie had promised in 2016. We get like, we, we, we get, we get, let me lay it out. Let, let right, me, right. uh, um, give me some rope. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to be, yeah. Give you're, me a lot. That, that eager to hang yourself. Huh? I, I am. I am. And let's say, okay, we're, we're starting to become by your lights more democratic okay. in the sense that okay, like a lot more people are, are, are coming out to vote. Like mm. the Democrats clearly, if they, if they turn out, if they had turned out in 2016, mm. Trump wouldn't have gotten within sure, a mile. Sure, sure. Of, of, uh, he wouldn't have got within a galaxy of the White House. Uh-huh. Um, much more, many more Democrats did turn out in 2020 and, 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 and Biden did triumph. Mm-hmm. Democrats have a, you know, despite the handicap of what, what, what you rightly call minority rule, mm-hmm. there's still just a preponderance of numbers, right? So let's say that that grows. Let's say in 2032, okay. AOC mm-hmm. becomes president. All right. And we've, and, and, and she's got a friendly Congress to work with. 
and we decide on uh, on a wealth tax and mm-hmm. an inheritance tax yeah. that's going to um, that's going to bring it down to yeah nobody will within five or ten years the tax is going to be such that we we get no more people worth more than a billion dollars okay. mm-hmm. just hypothetically speaking however mm-hmm. you want to measure that okay. that total wealth there's a huge uh, there's huge eruption from the right there's a huge just uh, hand there, there's hand wringing there might even uh, even if there's not like terrorist violence you mm. know that there's just America doesn't exist anymore as far as far as uh, as far as a, a good chunk of the populace of America is concerned mm. I'm not saying they're right but this is the narrative right that's we've already be- the we've, narrative. Be- we've become yeah yeah absolutely sure but now here here we are and you know and so we've got um, we've got all sorts of plans you know all sorts of if we tip it too much, and a lot of people are wealthy enough mm. that they could effectively, you know, finally put in, and, and this this includes tech billionaires, this includes energy mm-hmm. folks, this mm-hmm. includes, like, right. we're talking about people who can put into practice their captain of the universe schemes uh-huh. to maybe, okay, we're gonna we're gonna go found our own thing on a bunch of oil tankers in the Pacific, or on a on an oil rig in the Pacific, or something mm-hmm. like that. So we're going to secede. We're not going to accept this kind of wealth tax. Mm -hmm. And let's say that AOC puts into into practice her Green New Deal, right? And so with that friendly Congress, now we've Mm -hmm. got the taxes are much, much higher. And it's not just on the billionaires. It's falling heavily on everyone, right? Mm -hmm. And let's, you know, let's throw in things that I'm really sympathetic to. Like, let's uh, let's say, okay, yeah, we're going to actually... Uh, because of mounting climate change, like, does it make any sense for us to spend a huge amount of our precious water that are, that's in the Sierra Nevada mountains to to funnel it to that city in the desert called Los Angeles? Mm. Like, maybe we're going to have to resettle people uh-huh. uh, to try to make things uh, to try to think make things a little bit more sustainable. Mm-hmm. So even if we don't get significant social unrest. Uh, from a lot of people who are getting taxed much more than they used to, not just the billionaires, but others as well. Mm. Um, and with the billionaires like very publicly seceding, right? With them actually, mm. despite everything, fleeing the United States because okay. it's like, wait a minute, I'm worth $15 billion. Yeah. I'm not submitting to this tax, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, le- now I'm getting to my real fear. My real fear is not about internal American politics. That's a part of it. But my real fear is that from a global perspective, with the rise of China, um, with the rise of India, with the rise of, you know, um, we'll, we'll, certainly, we'll certainly see Brazil uh, mm. um, much more powerful in 10 years than it is now. Mm-hmm. That American internal politics is going to like, so our economy is gonna get weaker Relatively, spe- relatively speaking, and perhaps in absolute terms. Um, and then, because of the rise of these, uh, of these other countries, our internal politics is often going to become, we're already seeing it now. I mean, I, I see 
I see way too many people on the right who are just hating everything about the Biden administration, just resist, you know, whatever the Biden administration does, we're against it. Yeah. So in the case of the, uh, of the, our support for Ukraine, right, mm. you've got so, I'm not saying everybody on the right, but just a significant chunk of the right sure. is all but pro-Putin, right, all right. but pro, like, they're just... Look, this is, uh, and at the moment, it's fun in games because it's like, look, you monkeys, like, let, let's, I, like, you, you, I'm not saying you're wrong about everything. You happen to be wrong about this issue. It's going to become much bigger, like, if, okay, a, we, a more weakened America, you know, China decides to take Taiwan. Um, what's our response? Like, even if there's not some, like, really, really <laughs> significant social unrest. Uh, within America, even if there's not a big global war, even if we even if we kind of bracket the worst case scenarios, my fear is that America becomes weaker, mm. uh, and then internal American politics becomes beholden to these foreign policy things. So that, mm. for example, you'll get uh, a pro, you know, you'll have pro-China politicians in America yeah. saying, oh, you know, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta um, make peace with this greater power. We've gotta make, a, you know, right. no problem. Like, let's, you know, yeah. we'll... Or we'll, just isolationism, like, China's not a problem. Let's absolutely, have, yeah. yeah. What's yeah. What, Why should we try to contain it? Why should we, and then we, yeah. you know, a lot of our allies in the, uh, throughout not just East Asia, but everywhere, like, you know, all of a sudden the world is a very different place, right? And then you've got the anti, you, you'll, like, American internal politics, our factionalism, mm -hmm. will become, at least in part, a proxy on a pro or anti-China um, uh, stance. Mm -hmm. And so religion will become a part of it, you know. You, and this is the kind of thing that will eventually just follow the historical pattern of, uh, you know, a democracy that's completely chaotic and it, internally it's a mess and the external pressures eventually blow up and all of a sudden uh, you don't have any kind of democracy in any real sense of the term. You don't have a republic anymore. Um, that's my real fear and maybe that's too... Maybe that's too apocalyptic. I don't know. It's it's not about uh, will we be able to wisely redistribute the money. I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 would, I would assume that, that, that we can competently do that. Um, but my fear is, is is more on that on that larger level. Seems like that's pretty... the that's the common good. Like, how do we ensure that the American society of fifty or hundred years from now, or indeed more, mm -hmm. uh, we're a young country, relatively speaking, two hundred fifty years. Mm -hmm. Like, what are we going to look like in two hundred and fifty? Um, um, like the. The question of what we're shooting for seems fundamental. Like a lot of people I know, mostly on the left, they're shooting for what I would call utopia, and I know that may, might be an unfair characterization. They're shooting for the kind of society in which exploitation no longer exists in any form, and I, I, I think that's a fair characterization, not of what everybody wants, but of what a sizable a sizable portion of, of, of my friends and acquaintances and colleagues mm -hmm. who are, yeah. who are who, who kind of lean left want. Um, that's yeah. what they're shooting for. And I, I, I feel like followed to its logical conclusion without any of the checks and balances that we have taken for granted throughout the life of our republic, um, 
we could end up boomeranging ourselves into into a pretty bad place. This is what you want to worry about. This is what I do worry about. I, I, I could be completely... You know. <laughs> Padraig, this is, so, this is such a remote concern. I mean, you're, you're <laughs> presuming like so many like eventualities. If AOC is elected president, do you really think she's going to have a friendly Congress? I mean, that would be a miracle, but I, 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 like the chances are against it, right? I mean, like the, Maybe, the institutional... I mean... And even if she did, like I honestly, I trust AOC progressive Democrats so much better so much more to uphold american norms and institutions you know we have always proven that we care more about you know the the yeah the constitutional framework right that that you know you abide by the rules mm -hmm. right than uh the right has they've for for decades they've they've been happy to play dirty and uh a win is a win right and um, you know, I, I, I trust AOC with a supermajority in both houses if she gets it. And, you know, I hope she does, but I, it's not going to happen, unfortunately. <laughs> and by then, you know, the, you know, we'll already have sailed past 3.5 degrees Celsius, right? I mean, like we'll be, we'll be in already an apocalyptic world. So the, the idea that, you know, we're, we're going to be just like literally putting out the fires and that'll be the primary function of government by then. You know what I mean? Like by twenty thirty two, we're gonna be facing a serious like meltdown institutionally, where governments are you know struggling to deliver, as you say, the basic safety and whatever, because the climate change will have accelerated to such an extent. I mean, you know, like it, look at Canada. You know. The province of Quebec is on fire. The province of Alberta is on fire. Like, how's the, you know, from from one end of the country to the other? Like, I mean, this isn't a, you know, I mean, like, if you talk about societal breakdown and what to really be afraid of, like, I'm more afraid would... of what's going to happen when the oligarchs decide that we don't take action on climate change. You know what I mean? Like, this is this is what's really on the horizon. Like, we're not going <laughs> I'm, to... I'm not afraid that uh, AOC implements uh, the Green New Deal too thoroughly. Like, that's not... Uh, that's, that's not what would keep me up at night. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the, the, the climate change thing, if, it, if as dire as, uh, as you predict in 2032 mm. that we're going to be at an apocalyptic level, that that would only compound the kinds of things that I'm talking about. The, the, the internal yeah, pressures, the politics. Sure, the, true, um, yeah. But, I, but it's not going to come from too much democracy. You know, it's going to come from the, like, reality of the world around us, you know, shifting so fundamentally that people no longer feel secure in the air they breathe. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's not, <laughs> like, it's a different, it's a different problem, I think, that, that, that you know, is, is really looming. Um, you know, I, I hope we're not that far along by 2032, but I mean, good grief. Like, <laughs> it's, it, it, we, we've got to take the issue seriously or, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this is, this is fundamental. I, um, mm. How, if, you know, if you were, if you were writing a, a policy paper for, mm. let's say, let's say for, for, for an AOC administration. Okay. Well, yeah, what would you say... What do we need to, or, or better yet, right now for the Biden administration? Mm. What would you say we absolutely have to do? Uh, I, I mean, as Americans, 
domestically and through international institutions yeah. to to combat the problem. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think I ought to be honest that they're doing a lot of the right things, right? It needs to be done with more urgency and it needs to be done more consistently across the board to prepare us for a, you know, a, a basic transformation where electricity is essentially coming from renewable sources. Um, no more exploration for, for get, you know, leave it in the ground, right? That has to be, it has to be. We, we, can't, we can't afford to be continuing to extract oil. Um, natural gas, I think, has probably served its purpose as a transition fuel. I, I always thought the whole like transition fuel line was kind of BS when it was first being said, but it seems to be that's kind of the role that it has served, um, which is sort of nice in a way. But, um, you know, let's wean ourselves off of it uh, sooner rather than later. I know it burns a little cleaner than, uh, than other fossil fuels, but, um, you know, and I think, you know, the, the again, the, the wealth, in, you know, the wealth disparity part of this is, has to be tackled as well if we're going to tackle the climate issue because, you know, the, the super yachts of the wealthy are no joke a major polluter <laughs> like i mean you know it's a uh when you when you create this class of people who are fundamentally above the law on a practical level um you know their resource needs and their kind of demands on what society provide for them are going to way outstrip what can sustainably be done and i think that's where we are now actually it's not a future future tense sort of issue yeah um yeah, the reigning in uh, is not just. I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit more. I know I, we might be beyond that, but I just want to bookmark it for because it seems important for later. Uh, not just the wealth tax, but right. the restrictions generally that that one would place on everybody, including uh, the most wealthy, mm -hmm. seems like an important part of of what we're talking about right. here. And and job creation as well that you know is is specifically targeted at you know kind of your you're like, what should we say, lower uh, two quintiles or something, uh -huh. right? That kind of creates a, 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 a sense that the future has something for you, right? That you can yeah. be part of, the, part of the America of the future that will be greener and more yeah. know, equitable. Yeah, I mean, this, of course, brings us to education, and that's important. Mm. I just want to express one concern about... Uh, I. I hear what you're saying about the transition. Uh -huh. um, now, I'm not sure exactly how that would work in how it would work in practice, mm -hmm. but just a, a few scenarios that I'm envisioning as a, as as I hear you lay this out. Mm. So, let's say that uh, we, as a as a country, uh, just domestically within the U.S., want to completely eliminate the use of fossil fuel across the board <clears throat> uh -huh. by 2040 or by 2050. Okay. Full stop. Yeah. Um, I think one of the, one of the, uh, one of the necessary implications of that mm -hmm. is that maybe we can do that. I want to acknowledge the possibility, but what it would mean is what people are paying now, the equivalent of in Illinois, what three seventy a gallon, depending on where you are in the state. Mm -hmm. um, 
a lot less elsewhere in America, a huge amount more in, uh, well, certainly more in California and New York, mm. uh, that you're going to be paying a whole lot more. And, and you know, across the board for, uh, well, like, in order to finance this, and we can, we can definitely try to find the money up from elsewhere. I mean, yeah, like, this is a... Like, we're, t- we're talking you're, about you're, people... You're starting with the most regressive uh, way of potentially, you know, running an ecological transition. I mean, it, you know, that's... I, I think cutting, cutting, you know, cutting out the, like, poorer uh, sections of society from being able to get around is not really the first choice for any serious, like, you know, environmental policy platform, right? I mean, like, it's... Right, I mean, what I'm saying, I, th- I, th- I, think, you, I, think, I think you understand what I'm saying, is this is just a shorthand and a beginning, right? Okay. Like, maybe the government will finance it in a different way. Well, like, it will be... But the point is that the costs of that energy transition are going to, like, the, the cost of the R&D, the cost of... You know, the reason why we don't have complete renewable across mm. the board right now is because it's too expensive to implement so far, mm. right? That's, that's certainly one of the, one of the main factors. Like, like what, would we have to, what would we have to subsidize? What would we have to eliminate? And where will, and this goes back to the idea of the common good, mm. like where will the rights of individual Americans. We've already talked about the necessity of curtailing the rights of the super wealthy mm-hmm. to do whatever they want regarding their super yachts or sure, doing sure. whatever they're, uh, you know, oh yeah, yeah. you don't. Know, but we're t- these things are going to fall on everybody and it's mm-hmm. not going to be equal and they, you know, trying to get the policy balances right is going to yeah. be essential. But it is going to mean that everybody faces some curtailment probably a severe curtailment if we're really honestly searching for a 2040 or 2050 boom yeah that's it like that's mm-hmm. wrenching yeah and then it doesn't end there right because right. whatever we are doing here mm. and ideally because we are an extremely wealthy powerful country what we will do will have knock-on effects uh, around the world but at the same time how exactly are we going to approach the problem globally because it is indeed a global solution um how are we going to approach it in international institutions? What are we going to say? It's, it's already the case that China, India, mm-hmm. to take two really good examples, and yeah. certainly Russia will thumb its nose at it, and certainly, well, we'll see about Brazil. But certainly the countries that are industrializing now rapidly mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Trying, to, trying to do what they can for, for their own very good reasons in, mm-hmm. most, in, uh, in most cases, uh, they will say, well, that's great that you're doing that. We are not going to be on board with that. We, we need to, because we are much poorer than you, yeah. because we are... Show uh, us the money and we'll talk. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. once you've got your, you know, whatever you're going to do to pay for these subsidies and then we can, co- we can ride your coattails on, on the renewable technologies that you've created. Mm. But for now... You know, frankly, fuck you. We're not going to be on board with mm-hmm. all of the wrenching things that you're doing within your society. Yeah. And if they're not, and we can't expect them to do that, right? Uh, you know, you know, what percent of emissions does does the U.S. emit? It's significant, but it's it's you know it it's it's not going to be uh, um, a game changer as far as the uh, you know as far as the ocean levels and the temperatures. Do you know what I mean? Um, 
Sure. I mean, we, you know, at a certain point you get into virtuous cycles, right? Yeah. Um, like, yeah. I mean, the technology is out there. That means that, you know, um, suddenly renewable energy, be it wind, solar, you know, whatever, even, you know, hydro, for heaven's sakes, like that's been a renewable energy source that's been around since forever. Tide could be part of the picture. I mean, you know, a lot of, lot of possibilities, right? Mm. Um, the technology gets better and better. That makes those options cheaper, right? That makes um, it just more economically sensible, right? For people to be putting their money, for energy companies even, to be putting their money into, you know, renewable projects. Like, I think what's been keeping the fossil fuel industry going is, you know, it's uh, financial and political clout, right? They still get subsidies hand over fist from governments at all sorts of levels, um, you know, and I mean, I think, I think thankfully the days are kind of over where, you know, um, fossil fuel industry was running our foreign policy, but I mean, you know, that's not uh, in the so distant past. And, um, you know, I mean, I think we can, like from, from all I'm hearing, you know, the, the solutions are there, right? Like, I mean, this isn't, these, none of these are unsolvable problems, right? And, you know, once it does become, you know, more economical for more and more countries to do their, you know, clean energy transitions, um, it'll be, you know, it, it'll create this virtual, uh, virtuous cycle, right, where, where nobody wants to be left behind because it's more expensive to be burning oil and it's, and, you know, and, it, and it's going to entail an, a diplomatic and moral cost, right, to, to be the last country in, you know, name your continent that's still emitting, you know, way above its weight, like, you know, uh, Australia is, a, you know, not going to want to be the, the, you know, one of the largest per capita emitters forever. They're, you know, they're a medium sized country. They can be prevailed on, you know, by, they can be shamed to some degree by Canada and by, you know, South Africa and by New Zealand and, you know, the other countries whose opinions they care about. Right. Like, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's not, it's not like, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it's, going to be easy and, and without challenges but I think you know like the 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 problem is is not you know without a solution and we're even seeing that you know big business I, I don't you know normally sing their praises very much but I mean big businesses and uh, cities and you know local governments are taking the lead uh, in energy transition in all kinds of ways as you know I don't have any real expertise in this but from the reports i'm reading right Mm -hmm. um because it you know makes sense uh financially and from a kind of long-term planning point of view the insurance industry is going to be a major uh you know is is going to have a bully pulpit in this because they have a vested interest in in you know reducing the number of disasters they need to pay for right i mean like (laughs) like there's a that you're you're going to reach a tipping point where these problems seem easier to face than to defer you know what i mean and i think we we unfortunately our political system is not well adapted to making those kinds of shifts uh which is part of the reason why the you know u.s federal government is kind of stuck in the past in a lot of ways certainly in terms of congress right congressional action though to be fair to them i mean you know they passed the uh the uh 
Inflation Reduction Act. They passed the Build Back Better Act. I mean, you know, they, they like they actually did step up and do some do some substantive uh, some some some, ugh, some substantive things, mm. right? That uh, needed to be done. Um, you know, so like I think you know, to to say that you know there there are potential pitfalls along the way. Um, is is not to say that it, you know the journey shouldn't be made and you know when you can see your destination reasonably clearly and you know you have an idea of what the path needs to be i think you know like we the environment is is probably the one issue where we're already working most productively with china you know the um, this is this is almost the one kind of dossier that we've kept open with the Chinese during our you know years of, of uh, estrangement and um, and I think you know I don't know I like India is certainly you know not going to be a leader uh, necessarily but you know I mean we're we're seeing we're seeing these kinds of uh, you know diplomatic efforts um, for instance um, uh, I, I believe it was Brazil the um, Democratic Republic of Congo and uh, Indonesia kind of creating this rainforest, uh, you know, ma countries with major rainforests, like diplomatic interest group kind of thing. And the Pacific Island Forum has been has been huge on this or, the, you know, the small island nations, um, uh, which is actually bigger than the Pacific uh, Islands Forum. But anyway, like, I mean, I. And, and the, the amount of kind of goodwill that you can garner, right, by being right on the environmental issue um, or issues, it seems to so outweigh kind of the, you know, the, the, the countervailing force. Like, I don't know, I, I, don't see, I don't see this weakening the United States, even if we were to take the lead on it. Um, you know, I mean, I think it's it's just going to make sense and and in a ever more compelling way as you know the planet continues to burn. Will we be nimble enough to respond in time? I mean, the, to to really make a difference. I mean, I think that's the question. And you know, you're talking about costs. Like, well, I, you know, is it going to cost more? Like. You know, when if pe if most people are, are running, you know, uh, electric cars, um, you know, and never spending a dime on like oil changes or gasoline, like, I mean, this is a, an upfront cost that's going to pay for itself pretty fast. You know what I mean? Like, it's it, it, taxation. Well, taxation is as progressive as you make it, right? I mean, like it doesn't have to. You don't have to start, you know, with uh, with the most regressive kind of uh, measures. I don't know. I, I guess theoretically, you could eventually run out of rich people to tax, but that's that's not our problem yet in the states, is it? <laughs> yeah, the historical precedents are there, but but we're not we're not there yet. Right. Right. Yeah. I. Yeah, all this is really interesting. I, I, I kind of go back to the political will. Like if if yeah, if, yeah, if exactly. there's if there's right. will uh, in give some AOC sections of society, give AOC her super majorities in both houses, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's as you say. In some ways, the structure of our government is not. Um, oh, I want to say something about that too. <laughs> yeah, the structure of our government is not very 
you know, for all of their many and varied uh, and horrifying faults, mm -hmm. much more centralized governments also often do a better job at being more nimble sometimes, you know. And um, like with the kind of, I, I, I mean, I, I like your optimism. I really hope that, uh, yeah, I really hope that it will, that, that it will bear fruit. But I think we're underestimating the difficulties involved. They, like there's, there's, even assuming that we can pass through that initial stage of hurt that's going to fall on, on a lot of, like, no one's going to be able to escape the kind of price to be paid mm -hmm. to do that kind of transition so quickly. And let's say mm. that we can, and let's say that, you know, we, we get into that realm of what, the virtuous cycles. Right. Like, that, that's, that, that's an uh, an, um, a very important stage as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I generally find myself uh, to be, I mean, I, I, <laughs> we can definitely talk about the apocalyptic <laughs> version of the future. Right. And, um, and that, that there's certainly a risk there. I don't want to, mm. I don't, I, at least I don't want to consider myself a Pollyanna, but at the same time, I, uh, I do think that there is ground for hope. I do think mm. that we can navigate uh, the challenges, but given that, climate change and domestic politics and the kind of uh, policies that we are going to decide on, like, you know, taxing, taxing the rich at X, X amount, uh, you know, setting a graduated progressive tax at this amount. Mm -hmm. Like, given that these things are all major challenges, mm. I do want to build into the... Um, you know, build into the rubric, build into our expectations as mm -hmm. we look to the future that mm -hmm. there's going, like, whatever synthesis, whatever whatever uh, we need to do and whatever pain and price we need to pay, mm -hmm. like, there's going to be some, there, I want to emphasize the wrenching part. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what we've got in America, a government that has, for all its faults, uh, been continuous for over two and a half centuries mm -hmm. um, is not to be sneezed at. It's something that we take for granted today, generally, mm -hmm. on both sides of the aisle. It's like, this is what, you know, yeah. this is kind of like, and it, it's the kind of thing that can, that can go and, and can go quickly. Um, yeah. I, and, and the GOP has been preparing the ground really carefully for that as well, ever since the Obama administration, in fact. They've been, you know, pointing at Democrats and saying, you guys are preparing a coup. You guys are preparing for, uh, you know, the imposition of martial law, um, priming their constituencies to believe that this is something that American governments are capable of, and it's only a matter of time before our side does it or their side does it. So they're already primed to believe that the imposition of an American dictatorship is probably a smart move from the conservative standpoint, or I shouldn't say conservative, the right-wing standpoint, right? Because if Republicans don't impose a, democ a, a, a dictatorship, then, um, then progressives will. Yeah, I mean, it's a... When people talk about a civil war coming, I know mm. what they mean, but I, I would... 
I would just piggyback on what you're saying by by saying not civil war, not like the 19th century. Yes, mm, we're very factionalized. Yes, we're very. It's more a question of which side is going to seize the levers of power. And so, I mean, you're not wrong when you say that, the, 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 yes, it's true. The right wing has made a cottage industry out of accusing the left mm. of being fascists, mm-hmm. proto-fascists, or, sure. or the fully, fully fledged deal. Yeah. Unfortunately, and maybe this, this sounds like both sidesism. like it's, it's very much coming from the left as well. Like, no, I mean, it, both sides seem to be accusing each other of being fascists. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult for me to, to tell it apart because there is a very real danger that uh, dictatorship does emerge in mm-hmm. America. And it is a crapshoot on who exactly is going to control that dictatorship. Mm. Is it going to be one of the left-wing variety of dictatorships, more like the the old USSR, uh, out coming out of the Russian Revolution, or is it going to be one of those right-wing dictatorships, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Nazi Germany, or uh, like? So it's I, I struggle with this all the time because mm. it's um, it's. I'm sure supremely arrogant and probably very unwise of me to try to, oh yeah, to try to play peacemaker or to try to, to, um, um, to see things from, you know, a center that may not exist, Mm. uh, a center that maybe shouldn't exist. I don't know. Uh, but I do think that, I, I mean, this is you know if this happens mm-hmm. then uh we'll you know we could be really in for it then you know all of the external stuff all of the um you know it's 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 very very easy for things to go wildly off the rails once mm-hmm. that happens mm-hmm. um, so I... lincoln had a had a sort of um bon mot along these lines this was during one of his um you know debates with uh stephen douglas where you know he's he's kind of saying you know that stephen douglas is is trying to cling ostensibly to the center right where um he's he's trying to occupy this position of like well i don't care about slavery you know it's not uh not not my issue it can be Stephen voted Douglas's? Up. yeah okay uh not my issue i don't care if it's voted up or voted down i just want the people to have their say and popular sovereignty right right sounds really nice right and it's just <laughs> you know it's it's a vacuous policy and uh it's meant to be a peacemaking policy it's meant to bring both sides together on a common uh, theme uh, and it does absolutely none of those things and it makes political violence far worse it divides you know societies much more uh, you know accelerates the the divisions already existing between pro and anti-slavery factions and so on and so forth and Lincoln makes the point against Douglas um, that what Douglas is trying to inculcate is this uh, position that doesn't exist you know that um, you know, he's trying to find uh, a middle ground uh, between that's like as as futile as searching uh, for a man who's neither living nor dead. You know, <laughs> this is uh, he's he's trying to teach people not to care about a core moral issue like slavery, right? On which all true men do care passionately, and um, you know, and this is kind of a dead end uh, sort of. Uh, 
sort of undertaking on on his part. Um, okay. If I understand you correctly, you're comparing me to Stephen Douglas. Uh, in this scenario, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then what's the modern equivalent of slavery? Just before I respond, what would be the, so the, the core thing well, that he's pretending to, you know, try to strike a balance on? Um, and uh, really just the, being a prevaricator and, and the, an enabler of slavery. What would be the... The modern um, thing the, that you're comparing that to. The rise of far-right anti-democratic policy as well as ideology. Okay. Which I, okay. Which I think is, you know, really corrosive and, and, and very real. The Nazis are on one party. They're not voting Democratic. You know, they're voting Republican. They're real people who, you know have swastikas and you know like the whole the whole you know far right like the the alt-right is not a made-up thing but you know i mean like these are yeah uh and and they have a bigger and bigger program uh, a bigger and bigger platform you know tucker carlson's a white nationalist um he is you know one of the most popular spokespeople on on the right side of the political spectrum in this country i mean he's you know he's not a marginal figure anymore um one one yeah. point i wanted to I, oh go ahead no no no, please oh, I, I was just going to say one point i wanted to make um you know kind of about the um uh you you said it at, at some point in the our uh aoc uh with two houses of congress uh uh discussion one point that i think is is really really setting um us up for disastrous outcomes is the way that mainstream american media cnn abc all of them um are are talking to presidential candidates as though they will be able to rule by decree so uh one of the things you said was like aoc is elected and therefore we get everything that bernie promised well uh presidents don't rule by decree bernie sanders never had it in his gift right to impose any particular health care bill this is not a job of the president and um to the extent that you know they're they're teaching the the media are teaching the public to see the president and presidential candidates as the font of legislation the source of solutions right to the country's problems they're also queuing them up to be the figures of um, you know, of blame when those solutions are not forthcoming, regardless of who's responsible, right? They're doing the work yeah. of, of congressional obstruction for the obstructionists in Congress, um, which, which yeah. I feel is a, a really unhealthy <laughs> dynamic, given that no one's being taught civics anymore, hardly. I mean, like, you know, you, you barely find schools, yeah. you know, that are, that are taking seriously the job of, uh, of teaching people how, you know, mixed systems of government work yeah and when you do hear people you know you know the great and the good talk about civics it's inevitably to say civics teaching doesn't work mm. and so yeah and your point is very well taken that um well number one that you know there's uh the media is doing a piss poor job of you know not just setting up, but managing expectations mm, and right. uh, giving yeah. false hope. And, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it does 
tend to boomerang. You know, oh, this right. person's actually going right. like, to look right. at look at the trajectory of Obama. Yeah. Even AOC even people on the left. becomes president, and then the yeah. far right immediately seizes power because people are so disappointed that she didn't solve all the world's problems in the first hundred days. Yeah, no, I mean the the point is very well taken, and I would add, you know, I. Whether I, I cannot say that I had this hope with Trump. A lot of people said, oh, well, now that he's become president, he'll mature into it. I, mm. I didn't really have that hope. Mm. But, you know, for, you know, for most people, I, 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 uh, I, I will be hopeful and optimistic. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like whatever you said as a firebrand in your youth, I mean, you, I'm, I, I'm sure, sure you can mature into something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Into something, you know, a little bit more. Um, uh, you know, more, more, more wise and dare I say presidential. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, regarding the the Stephen Douglas thing <laughs> <laughs> and the the, compa- the comparison to be made, I let's take the. I definitely, I definitely, since I identify so much more with Lincoln than mm-hmm. with than with Douglas, mm-hmm. I let's start with the slavery thing. Okay. Like comparing comparing the great issue of slavery, uh, uh, um, in... the the great issue of the rise of the slave power, and the nationalization of the institution of slavery, because this is what they were actually quarreling over. Right, right. Yeah. With Lincoln opposing yeah. extension. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, comparing that to, like, so that was the issue. Uh, in that mid 19th century moment, and, mm-hmm. and it had been the issue for mm-hmm. decades, mm-hmm. Um, and indeed was the great stain. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I have trouble comparing that mm-hmm. to isolating the problem only on the right. Now, God knows there's there, there there's a lot that we can point to on the right to say, wow, we've we've. We've we've got potential we've we've got potential proto fascism we've got potential right wing mm-hmm. dictatorship mm-hmm. incubating over there on the right. Sure, you're not wrong. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely not wrong. But if we go back to the comparison that is always made, right? Mm-hmm. The comparison is with the Nazis. The comparison is with Hitler, and and rightly so. Them being the ur case of a right wing dictatorship, right? Them being the ur case of of just this. Um, uh, this catastrophic failure of the democratic process and so on. Okay. My fear is that we are missing something really important. Yes, that right-wing dictatorship that, mm-hmm. uh, that bloomed in Germany uh, in the way, you know, starting with the wake of World War I, uh, the fall of the Kaiser, the Weimar Republic, the rise of Hitler, this is something that we absolutely need to take seriously as a as a historical lesson. Mm. Equally, we do we do have at the very same time a left wing dictatorship uh, blooming. This time out of the Russian Revolution, right? Okay. And so you've got these two dictatorships: the right and the left wing dictatorships dominating uh, Eurasia uh, mm. in that early and mid twentieth century moment. Now, we could definitely talk about the different, we could weigh the pros and cons, mm-hmm. but let's take your, um, your injunction, right, uh, that I, I think was, is very well made uh, earlier in the conversation. Let's say, 
look, we've got to actually look at the history. Uh, it's so easy to get lost in the weeds. It's so easy to just forget, you know, that that that, that doesn't matter. Like in the Western world, mm-hmm. that was, you know, and the, I mean, let's let's talk specifically about America. There was not everybody, but most people sided with one or the other. Um, and I'm not saying that I, it was probably a little bit more Douglas or Lincoln or oh I'm sorry no I'm t- I'm I'm talking right now about the right wing dictatorships of you oh. know so in the case of in the case of the Russian Revolution from 1917 on well that's then, not true though I mean most people weren't for the Nazis or for the communists well oh here let, let me let me try to let me, give give me some rope to 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 kind of. Like it, 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 there definitely wasn't going to be a, a um, an up or down vote on it, but the ways in which public opinion expressed itself, the ways in which I mean, you had a lot of people on the left, um, and it wasn't just the socialists of the world, right? It wasn't just the people on the far left. It wasn't just the people out of power. Woodrow Wilson himself, president during the Rus- Russian Revolution, at first welcomed you know. The Bolsheviks have acted very wisely, very justly, in the true spirit of modern democracy. I mean, he changes his tune later, but that's how mm-hmm. he welcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how he welcomes Bolshevik rule. And he wasn't alone, of course. Sure. Uh, others, you know, even uh, even in the dark days of Stalin's and uh, Holomodor, and even in the dark days of the, of the forced famines of Ukraine and, and, and the Gulag, you've still got people throughout the Western world. Including here in the United States, just staunch supporters of Stalin, sure. right? Yeah, true. Meanwhile, uh, as Hitler takes power, you've got a lot of people saying, "Oh, maybe, maybe that, maybe this is a good thing." Now, the the, the, the Holocaust is still very far away, uh, you know, relatively speaking. And when Nazi military dictatorship actually does start conquering Europe, there's just a huge isolationist sentiment. I'm not saying we need to cast them in the same fire with Hitler. I'm saying they were aligned in the sense that they really didn't give a shit if the Nazis ruled Europe and indeed conquered England. Uh There's just a huge um, strength of public opinion in the United States was just like, oh, if that happens, you know, who cares? It's nothing to do with us. But of course, it did have something to do with us. Like, that's kind of... I, that's what I would understand the the Stephen Douglas um, position to be. It's like, oh, no, I'm I'm a, I'm the, one of the reasonable ones. I don't care about slavery, you know. I I like I I I, don't, I, don't, I mean I I'm like, uh, you know, he he's trying to hem and haw and prevaricate and, and talk the language of popular sovereignty, right? right. Um, you know, in something of a similar way to mm-hmm. the way. Uh, I, I, I'm not pro Hitler, but you know I, I don't really care about uh, you know what if he what if he does conquer England like no skin off our nose we're we're we've got the ocean in front of us, so okay, so some very few people during this time in the twenties the thirties and the early forties were striking a balance between those two right wing dictatorships sorry but between the left and the right wing dictatorship this was not a small number this was broad consensus in many Western countries, including the U.S. 
like among thinkers, I think it, I think it was rare. Ah. I, I, I think you're. You're, I, I you're mean, going no true Scotsman here. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, the the kinds of. I, I would love to see. I would love to see evidence of of of, of a broad base of thinkers. I mean, I agree with you in the sense that, for people who weren't really paying that much attention, or who for people who were, like. You know, I mean, certainly in the 1920s and the 1930s, there was a huge ocean between us. I mean, the world was a lot bigger than than it is now. Okay. Um, but I mean, just having studied the period, I, I I don't find many thinkers who are understanding that there is a need to navigate between the two. Like you've got a lot of people on the on the left who are just frankly and and frankly, cravenly pro-Stalin. Uh, and then on the right, you've got just a lot of isolationist sentiment. But people like Reinhold Niebuhr, for example, were not where the, they were explicitly laying out the groundwork for, no, 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 we're not doing a left-wing dictatorship and we're not doing a right-wing dictatorship. We're doing something different here. Okay. Um, like my, my reading of that period is that that was, that was a relatively rare voice. The entirety of social democracy eschewed communism as an institution, right? I mean, like, they, they, these were guys who, you know, were deep in faction fights against the communists in the interests of safeguarding democracy on the left, right? I mean, mm -hmm. like, so the social democratic movement as such was born out of a left-wing opposition to communism. Um, and Christian democracy, you know, can tell a similar story, right? The, but I, I actually kind of think the, the whole, you know, Stalin-Hitler uh, thing is a bit of a red herring here. Because, I mean, the, the force of my analogy, and it, I'm sure I, I, was, I was offering it kind of playfully, um, uh, but, uh, you know, the force of my analogy, I, I, I think still kind of holds like the idea that there was a rise of the slave power increasingly assertive and wanting to uh, have the predominant force in the United States as a polity and over the shared common United States territories, I think is kind of a fact that's hard to ignore, maybe a little squishy around the edges, like, ooh, what do you mean by slave power? Can we deconstruct that? Yeah, sure, you can deconstruct it. But it's no, no, really no, what's I, happening, right? Yeah, I get what you're saying. I, and, I think I'm totally on board. Right, yeah. and I mean, I think, I think there's a similar kind of, um, a similarly palpable, uh, you know, inflection point right now in American political culture in the sense that, you know, the rise of the far right as embodied institutionally in the Republican Party of Donald Trump, right, poses a far right threat to democracy and to voting rights, you know, I, and you can either be, you know, you, you, I, I don't think there are people who are kind of there shouldn't be. <laughs> I don't think it's morally defensible um, to be agnostic on that one. You know what I mean? Some people may not think it's much of a problem. Well, those are your isolationists, uh, I guess. Uh, Hitler can come to power, who cares? You know, uh, but, you know, really they're kind of enablers of the far right in, in their own way. And then there are those who, you know, like, as Biden says, believe that the soul of America is in question, right? There, there needs to be a kind of repositioning on the basis of 
common democratic values, right? Small d democratic, um, but uh, but also you know through the vehicle of the big d democratic party. I mean, like, I I, I don't know. I mean, I I'm I'm not seeing I'm I'm. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to say that you're, you know, kind of, uh, but, but I mean, I, the, the force, the force of, you know, voter suppression and of, and of, you know, anti-democratic, the, the debauching of, uh, you know, public discourse on the right against democracy and against majority rule, I don't think has any kind of analog on the left. I mean, yeah, sure. The, the, the left has lots of problems and, you know, we're all too happy to join the circling firing squad and, you know, be, be looking for <laughs> looking for things, looking for litmus tests to fail our fellow uh, leftists on all the time. But right. I don't think there's anything comparable going on on our side. Yeah, I. This is how I this is how I would look at it. And I know I, and I know it's very different. And, uh, I, I really want to hear your, your perspective on this. I view it more like, okay, if we are the government, and as citizens, we are in some very important ways part of the government. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we are prosecuting a, and I know this is a this is a this is a, a stretch of an analogy, but between uh, right wing extremism and slavery, yeah, let's, let's. Here would be the way I think about it. We as a government are prosecuting a guerrilla war, right? Okay. So we are trying to end a guerrilla war. We're trying to fight the guerrillas at the same, and mm-hmm. we're trying to keep the populace in this in this analogy mm-hmm. on side. That. And governments often make a hash of this, and the guerrillas grow stronger, and you know many among the populace give succor to the to to the guerrillas and the mm. guerrillas grow stronger and perhaps overthrow the government right mm. and become the government so what can we do against those very real problems that you point to the kind of things where plenty of people really are attempting to to limit voting rights yeah. plenty of people are fighting that rear guard minority rule mm-hmm. like this is our strategy yeah. now Right. Like this is what we're, right. the, the, and we're going to by hook or by crook, we're yeah. going to, and it, in this context, it's worth noting that, so these checks and balances of the constitution, mm. of which I am very fond, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I, I have a point on that. Actually. Yes. Uh-huh. So think about the Senate in the original conception of the constitution, right? The mm. Senate was supposed to be an aristocratic check. Right. <clears throat> Notice what has happened. It's still a check, but it is now uh, what I might very, you know, flippantly call a hillbilly check, right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like right. it, it's shifted. Well, it's no longer aristocratic check. Now it's well, but they're still millionaire lawyers. I mean, like they might be hillbillies, but they're true. But they're pandering. They're, they're, they're it's the, we're, we're talking about the you know red meat red states. Yeah, like okay. it's it's a right. it, it's a very populist politics. Rather than uh, no, no. Well, it's a demagogic politics. Sorry, that's that's yeah. more accurate. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay, that you know, it feels relevant to the. So, how do we prosecute a guerrilla war? Well, okay. How, 
Like, how do we how do we try to separate the crazies mm. and there are real crazies mm-hmm. from sensible conservatives? Yeah. And how do we even inculcate? You know, how do we even um, you know educate. fight to create and educate right. more right. more sensible conservatives? And that sounds like a very arrogant thing to do. But like <laughs> you know, we're we're I, I I would say the exact same thing on the left. How sure, how do right. we educate? Right. Uh, you know. You know, people on the left who are not going to just you know, follow a blind alley down a Zen fascist route, you know? Um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like one example of, you know, a successful rear guard action that uh, just happened here on our doorstep was, um, you know, the election of, of this um, uh, Democrat to, uh, gosh, I can't remember her name, um, to the Wisconsin Supreme court. One of the last, Wisconsin votes, um, and a limited number of at-large elections where democracy has, has had a chance, where there are competitive elections. Okay. Only, the, only the statewide at-large, you know, uh, like governor and... Uh, which doesn't mean that they can never elect a Republican as governor. They've done that plenty of times too, right? In Wisconsin, you know, um, one of the at-large kind of... Uh, they elect members of the Supreme Court, right? And the, as a result, now the um, Wisconsin Supreme Court leans left. They're more, you know, at, at where the legislature has gerrymandered itself an election-proof supermajority. You know, Wisconsin elections are really close. Like everything's pretty much fifty-fifty, right? And um, whether it's you know. 49-51 or 51-49 determines the outcome of Wisconsin's, you know, gubernatorial election, its election, you know, its results in presidential years and so forth. But um, the Republicans in the Wisconsin State House have been, you know, they, they've drawn the lines so that they get like, you know, two-thirds, three-fourths of the seats no matter how people vote. And um, so it's now possible to take an appeal against their maps to the Supreme Court and have some hope of justice prevailing, right? So, I mean, this is a, this is a successful rearguard action against yeah. the, the permanent minority rule paradigm, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, <clears throat> I think until recently, North Carolina similarly had a, had a Democratic-leaning... Um, Uh, Supreme Court. Um, Another tool that's in your constitution that, you know, uh, checks and balances it all. My (laughs) constitution. Mine. (laughs) You and your buddies came up with in Philadelphia (laughs) these many years ago. Um, uh, Is the the clause um, where the federal government has the power to guarantee to the states a Republican form of government. A, an important provision, uh, and Absolutely. one that, yeah, and one that was used in the Reconstruction period, at least occasionally, to intervene where you know governments, uh, state governments, were trying to disenfranchise large swaths of their population, right? So um, you know, so it is it is possible, con- conceivably at least, for the federal government to intervene and guarantee to Wisconsin a Republican rather than an 
oligarchic form of government. Um, and they would have the constitutional power, right? Yeah, yeah. Even, even if it's politically impossible, they'd have the constitutional power to, you know, tell Wisconsin, okay, you guys need to draw up a new state constitution because yours is not democratic. It's not Republican. So, <clears throat> yeah, that's fascinating. Owen, we're going to have to leave it there. <laughs> I right. really want to keep talking with for hours, uh, especially w next time we do this. Okay. We should start with education. We should Ooh, start with okay. how, okay, yeah. It, yeah, how it, do we crack that nut? Yeah, and particularly history education, but also just civics more broadly. And mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it, I mean, just a lot to explore. Mm -hmm. And I really want to do it particularly with you because we can, you can help. You know, rein me in where I'm. <laughs> where you start horror searching. of horrors becoming Stephen Douglas? <laughs> where you start searching for something in between a living and a dead man? <laughs> I. I uh, you didn't see that accusation coming, did you? <laughs> right, right. No, no. I, I really appreciate it, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to make sure that that analogy does not apply. <laughs> Because in my self-conception, I am Lincoln in the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Good man. <laughs> but thank you so much, man. Oh, it's been my pleasure. such a pleasure. My pleasure. Yes, yeah. it's always a delight to uh, talk, uh, solve the world's problems with you. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's good. Listeners, that's why you need to tune in again to the next episode.